0: Welcome into episode 23 of the House of L podcast. I am Lawrence Holmes. We appreciate you listening. I'm excited for this week's episode. It's been interesting trying to balance getting done all of the added work that I made for myself. I'm not complaining, I'm just trying to let you know all that I'm doing. I have really loved doing this. I've loved it so much that I keep adding more work. So I feel I sometimes feel like I'm giving you too much content. I feel bad because I have to walk the, the fine line between letting you know that stuff is available and you know spamming your Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And I'm trying not to do that, but I'm really proud of the interviews that are being done. So I want to get them out and I want people to hear them and I want them to To enjoy them, so I get really jacked up about it. Um, and and this week is no exception. And I'll get to that momentarily, um, because our our guest this week is phenomenal. And I'll tell you about the the dilemma that I had, but not not before I tell you about Melly Cafe, one of our fine sponsors of the House of L podcast. If you haven't been to Melly Cafe, do me a favor and go. Just go, and when you go there, be like, hey, we heard about it on the podcast, and we really like this place. If you're in the city, if you work downtown, there's three locations. You can go to the Greek town location, Hosted in Jackson. That's where you could find me and Mel. Um, often we'll go to that one because she went to UIC, so it's familiar. It's for her. We get to go hang out over there. There's also the location on Grand and Wells. You can check them out, or Congress in Dearborn, and that one's open late. So usually, Melly is like breakfast and lunch, but you can get dinner at the Congress in Dearborn, and it has got you know outdoor seating while it's still warm enough for us to be outside. Incredible food, incredible drinks, great service. You're gonna feel like all three of the restaurants are really big and spacious, and they're in good locations to kind of look around and see what's going on outside. If you decide to to sit inside, they make fresh juices. They squeeze everything, and they do lots of cool mixing of drinks, too. So that's very cool. Uh, also, one of our sponsors, Chicago Wolves. They're getting ready to start their season off. And the Chicago Wolves had signed on. They said, listen, we want to do the Bears podcast. And I'm like, you know what? They're good people. I'll just add them on to This podcast, too. So shout out to the Wolves for being on board and their season starts on October 13th. ChicagoWolves.com. If you want to get tickets, if you've heard me, I've been talking about the superhero night that's going to happen in December. I promise you that I will be there unless there is something that drags me away from it. And I'm trying to decide, do I go Green Lantern? Do I go Captain America? Do I wear my Flash T-shirt? I got a lot of choices to make between now and then. But ChicagoWolves.com, it's a really good time for an affordable price. If you want to go watch a little bit of hockey, you live up north, it's um, easy. Right there at the Allstate Arena, they have a good time. It's a good product, and you can enjoy it. And it's funny because our guest actually talks about the AHL and watching hockey at the AHL. So here's what, what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get ahead because there's so much with, doing the radio show, doing the TV show, doing the extra bears podcast. And then of course the weekly interviews I've been trying to get ahead so that I have weeks where I can just kind of go and exhale a little bit, Angela Bassett. So I've recorded a couple of interviews over the last, like last week I recorded two different interviews. So I recorded an interview with Jim Rose and John Weideman. And obviously, you clicked on this one. This is the John Weideman interview. I initially was going to have Rose go first and then save Weideman for opening week for the Blackhawks. Like, that's what I was thinking I would do. But I just, I really liked it and I wanted to get it into your hands before the season started. I've always admired hockey play by play guys, I think that it is by far the most difficult play-by-play to do. You've got shift changes, and the puck is not always easy to see. Vantage points aren't always great, which is something that John and I talk about in in, in this episode. It moves so fast, and there's so much that you have to take into account that I think that those guys have the hardest job in, in what we would consider, let's say, the big five. I'll count soccer in there, the big five in American sports. I think hockey is the hardest sport to call and to call in a creative, beautiful way, which is one of the reasons I wanted to talk with John. I think he's terrific. He's one of those announcers that holds my attention. He's good at it. And I've had a great time listening to him since he became the radio voice of the Blackhawks. And I'm looking forward to yet another year. This interview, I think, is fun because there's so much about John that I didn't know. I don't I don't really live in the hockey world. Usually my show is on at night. It, it's what keeps me from covering the Bulls more extensively. Although now, with the Bulls on the score... I'll be able to get studio time at the UC, which will allow me to cover them a little bit more closely. That's not the case with the Blackhawks. If we had the Blackhawks, I could do the same thing where I could, you know, do the show from the United Center the night of a game, cover a game and and, and have some more stuff to bring back to you. But I wanted to I, I do hear the people that say you don't talk enough hockey or you should talk more hockey. And, you know, we have that running gag at the station. Talk more hockey. Stop talking hockey. Well, I felt comfortable that this was an area of hockey that I could do a really good job of discussing. And that's interviewing someone who's great at calling hockey hockey games. So. John Weidman is a fascinating individual. Forget about what he does as a play by play guy. He's just a really fascinating guy. And I think that you're going to find that out on today's episode. So enjoy. This is Blackhawks play by play man John Weideman. I'm so happy that you said yes to, to being on the podcast because there's there's a lot that I want to ask you. So so thank you. But I want to start here because I always like to 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 get some good background on people. When did you fall in love with hockey? Oh gosh.
1: Um, <clears throat> I think that was probably the year was probably 1965. Um, it was in the middle of winter. Um, I remember I, I was about I was about eight years old, and um, I began to see uh, highlights of hockey games on TV. I grew up in Kansas City. Okay, so it's a non-traditional hockey town, but. Uh, we would get hockey highlights on the news broadcasts, you know, for the TV news broadcast from time to time. And from time to time, they'd show these hockey highlights. And I remember every time they'd come on, I would be like, wow, that is so cool. You know, that, that, I mean, the eight year old thinking, right? I mean, and, uh, I remember one day, a winter day, um, I'm going to say it was in January. I was in my best friend's basement. And um, they were the only people on the block that had a color TV. (laughs) Uh, This is back in 1965. Uh, Most families only had one TV and most families had a black and white TV. Our family had a black and white. And so I'm walking by this, uh, his TV, my, my buddy, Jerry, and he says, come on, let's go upstairs and let's go. I don't know. You wanted to go outside and do something. I can't remember what, but he was ahead of me. And uh, as I walked by the TV, I turned and I looked. And there was a hockey game on that TV, and it was the Blackhawks against the Montreal Canadiens at the old Chicago Stadium. And, Lawrence, I didn't move from that spot for probably 35, 40 minutes. My buddy Jerry went upstairs. He thought I'd been following him the whole time, and he, he found himself alone outside. And, you know, pretty soon he came back down to the basement. And he's saying, come on, let's go. I said, yeah, I'll come up in a little while. I said, I just want to watch a little more of this. A little more turned into probably, as I said, 40 minutes. And he had to get his mom to come downstairs to get me to get out of there, you know, before I, I finally did. Well, that right there kind of put it into my soul. And uh, I became a fan at pretty much at that moment of the Blackhawks. In that game, by the way, Stan Makita played, Bobby Hull was playing, uh, guys like Kenny Warham, uh, Pierre Palat, um, Glenn Hall was in goal, uh, Elmer Moose Vasco. So, you know, a lot of the, the old guard Hawks were playing in that game and playing for the canadians in that same game was a man that about 30 years later would become my boss and his name was jimmy roberts and he was playing for the montreal canadians so it's kind of weird how it all fit together but that pretty much started my love for the game of hockey and i was hooked
0: what do you think drew you to it was it the speed the the ferocity of the game with the skill what 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 kind of grabbed you and said this is the game for you
1: I think it was all of what you just said and plus there was a, an element of um I don't it's, it's it's hard to define it it really is you know. You ask, you ask people, you know, why do you love the game so much? And they'll give you those reasons. But then there's this intangible, something that they can't really put their finger on. But there's something dynamic about the game of hockey that keeps hockey fans coming back. You know, uh, for me, it's the speed and the skill and everything that's done at breakneck speed on the ice. And, you know, when you see a game on TV, it, it, to me, it really doesn't do the sport justice but if you go to a live professional game and it doesn't have to be an NHL game, it could be, you know, an American league game or, you know, maybe a a game in the East coast hockey league, or maybe even a junior game and you sit right next to the glass and you see how fast these guys are moving and how fast the puck is moving. I mean, it, it just draws you right in. Um, It's a hypnotic kind of a thing. And, uh, you know, heaven help the guy that takes his eye off the puck for five seconds and it flies over the glass and hits the guy. But, um, you know, I mean, it, it, it's that kind of a, an allure. Uh, and it's always been that way for me. Um, you know, obviously on the ice right now in modern day NHL, you don't have the same kind of room that you did back in the sixties when I first started watching. I mean, um, you know, guys, the guys had a lot more room to make plays. They, the passing was better. You could identify with the players, I think, a little more easily because not that many of them wore helmets. And the the style of play was different. It was a lot more ferocious back then too. I mean the the hatred between the teams was significant. And I think that added a little element of intensity to it and it just it made the fans want to come back for, you know, each and every game. So um, that's the best way I can put it into words.
0: Well, that's part of the reason why I wanted mm-hmm. to have you on because, you know, I've, I talk to a lot of play by play guys. I, I dabble in play by play myself, doing a little bit of basketball mm-hmm. here and there and occasionally football. I'm always so impressed with hockey play by play guys and you in particular. Uh, the, I, you. I love the way that you describe the game. So, from a play by play standpoint, how hard is it to call a hockey game?
1: Um, it can be challenging depending on uh, how consistent the, the flow of play is um, if it's if it's an up and down game right where each team is trading rushes and then trading scoring chances uh, that can be really a, a lot of fun to be involved in because it, it there's a flow there's a sense of predictability to it when you have games where there's a, a great deal of a defensive play going on in between the two blue lines and quite a few turnovers that can make description of the game really tedious and really challenging because you know if you're the listener you're sitting there and you're listening to the play-by-play say the blackhawks get the puck back at center ice patrick kane's got it on the left wing side and all of a sudden you know, uh, maybe one of, the, uh, one of the St. Louis Blues will step into him with a body check, and then and you'll hear he's checked off the puck in front of the benches by so-and-so for the Blues and you have to drop all of those, you have to drop all of those elements into your play-by-play uh, or else you just confuse the listener. So it's, it's challenging to try and get all of that in while the play is going on and keep up with the play I would imagine it's challenging for the listener to try and listen to that. That would be mind-numbing. Um, so you just do your best, and at some point, if it continues on that way, you say to the listener, "I will just say to the listener, <clears throat> this has been very hard to describe. I, you know, it, it hasn't been easy to watch. You know, maybe you inject a little bit of humor and hope that you know one team or the other will start their attack and make it a, a, a beautiful, flowing rush up ice or." or uh, uh, some great playmaking that, that really I think it makes it easier to listen to if you're a hockey fan. But there, it definitely has its challenges.
0: At this point in your career, do things surprise you still when it comes to to making sure that you're able to let the listener visualize what's happening on the ice?
1: Yeah, from time to time. From time to time there are some things that, that take place that you're not expecting. Um Sometimes, you know, when you get a new player, um, somebody that you haven't seen, um, somebody that, and and keep in mind, our broadcast perspectives are a long way from the ice. I mean, we're not, we're not right down, like for basketball. um,
0: You're on the floor.
1: Yeah, they're right there on the floor. Those enormous guys are playing basketball, literally almost in their living room. So it's kind of hard. You know, okay, you you look up and you see a guy that's like seven foot two and he probably goes three hundred and sixty pounds and he's muscle down and you know, you look at him, you don't even have to see the number on his chest. You know that's Shaquille O'Neal right there in front of me. You know that. You know. But when you're a play by play guy for hockey, by and large, the broadcast booths are up high and many times they're back to the exterior wall of the building. And, you know, the owners, they, I can understand their, their, their thoughts are put a good product on the ice and serve the fans. And, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to disparage or disrespect the press and the media, but, you know, we have to put them back here because we need to save these seats for our fans. And I totally understand that. And I think that, uh, I think that, and and I actually think that, that Lawrence, that's the way it should be. I think that's the way the fans should come first in this, you know? And so when it comes to us, the broadcasters, we kind of know and accept the fact that we are way up and usually way back. There are some exceptions. Uh, The Staples Center in Los Angeles is just a spectacular view of the ice. It may be the best in the league. It's at the front lip of the upper bowl, and you feel so connected to the game. You feel like you could reach out from your broadcasting position and pat the guys on the back as they skate by you. Um, but, uh, but you, you asked me about things that surprised me. I, I kind of digressed a little bit there. I didn't mean to, but, um, what, what can surprise you is when you get a new player or maybe even a new couple of players, guys that have been playing well in the American hockey league and the NHL team wants to reward them. Hey, we're going to bring you up. We're going to, we're going to, uh, get you to Chicago and you're going to be in that game at Chicago against the Blackhawks. So Troy Murray and I are in our booth and, um, uh, we're along the blue line, by the way, up above, behind the penalty boxes, directly across from the visitors' bench, and you'll get a player sometimes who you don't recognize and haven't seen, and they will get their back turned away from you against the far boards and glass, and all you can see is the front of the sweater. You can't see. You can't really see the face from that distance. You can't really make out the number on the sleeve. So you have to rely on the studying that you've done during the day and the line combinations that you try and take during warm-up so that you can kind of get a feel for who's playing with who, and you make your best guess. Now, I will admit, I have been wrong a number of times. I've misidentified uh, many players over the years. There isn't a play-by-play guy out there that hasn't, and it's because of where we're located and how far from the ice we are and you get new players in the, in the lineup sometimes that you're not familiar with. And it's pretty easy to do because the game
0: moves so fast. I'd love to know like what, what your board looks like. Cause I'm fascinated. with play by play guys boards, how much, how much of it is typed in, how much of it is handwritten and, and how do you go about, you know, kind of absorbing all the information on whether it's the Blackhawks or the opponent?
1: Well, we get a set of game notes for every game. Okay. Um, And I I derive a lot of information from the game notes, but I also do a lot of my own studying. I'll I'll go online. Um, As an example, we've got a game tomorrow night against the Detroit Red Wings in Detroit, and there isn't a ton of information in the preseason that you'll get. So you have to get into that hunter-gatherer mode. You have to hit the various websites, and you have to try and glean information about the team that the Blackhawks are going to play tomorrow night so that When we get to the point where we're on the air, I'll have enough that I can talk about just in case, you know, a moment comes up in the game where, uh, you know, maybe a player who I did research on has done something relevant in the game. And I've got a little nugget to share with the fans, along with the fact that, you know, maybe the guy scored a goal or something like that. Um, But typically, you, you get a fair amount of information from the league. I think the league does a pretty good job of supplying the media and the broadcaster's with the, the, the information, the game note information and statistical data that is pretty relevant. Um, you know, it, you, you can never feel like you have enough. <clears throat> That's kind of my rule of thumb. I, I get what I need to get and then I'm always looking for more. It's like uh, I'm a guy with a big appetite. I like to eat a lot, right? <laughs> and so after I get done eating a meal, I don't always sit back and think, yep, I've had enough. I'm always going into the cabinet or maybe into the into the fridge looking for something else because I just haven't topped off my appetite yet. That's kind of the way I am when it comes to seeking information that could be relevant to the broadcast. And the truth is, is that there's a 90-10 rule in broadcasting with hockey, and I would, I would bet it's about the same way with other sports. You do 100% preparation for your game. Typically, you use about 10% of that 100% of preparation in a, in a broadcast. But there are going to be nights where the game is so bad that you're going to use a whole bunch of that other 90%. And so we, we prepare that way for every game
0: what's your relationship like with players? I know there are some play-by-play guys that you like to be in the clubhouse and some that that don't want to you know, overstep their boundaries. So how do you balance the line of knowing the players and covering the players?
1: All right, well, for me, I mean, I am the Blackhawks broadcaster, okay? I'm, I'm employed by the Blackhawks and I'm paid by the Blackhawks. Uh, so for me and I'll go ahead and just say this up front. I'm a homer. The Blackhawks are my team. I love the Blackhawks. Yes, I love saying great things about them, but when they don't play well, I have an obligation to say that this, this, they didn't get this done very well or they didn't do this right or they, they uh, could have done this better. It's how you say it. You know, it's like what you, our parents have told us when we were little kids. It's not so much what you say, it's how you say it. Um, <clears throat> you know, in Canadian markets, a lot of the broadcasters have to call it right down the middle. Um, and, and it's accepted up there because that's just the way it is. Um, in other markets, if you call it down the middle, the home fans are going to sit there. They're going to think, whose side is this guy on? You know, is he, is he our broadcaster? He sounds like he should be the broadcaster for the other team. Um, <clears throat> they're, never, they're never going to have that problem with me because they'll know that I love the Blackhawks. They're my team. But as I said, when they do something that they could have done better, I'm going to say it. Um, I'm not going to kick them around because I really don't have a right to, in my opinion, because I'm not down there on the ice, you know, paying a price. I'm not doing that. It's them. I'm reporting on them. And so I try and do it in a fair and honest fashion. And I try and be as objective as is possible without insulting people. I know that, you know, in past years when I was in the minors, I said things that, you know, some of the girlfriends of of players would be listening to the games because that was their only conduit to what was going on. And, you know, a couple of days later, uh, one of the players had come up to me and said, Hey, my wife was listening to the, uh, you the other night. And she said that you said this and that I like, oh, oh, wow. I got to be careful, you know, because you never really know who's listening. So, Um, that's kind of a rule of thumb. You, you have to, you have to make it palatable for everybody and try and keep it fair and objective. But when your team does something good, you, you really rev it up. That's how I, that's my own personal style.
0: Do you want Um, to be close to the players or do you try to keep a distance from them because of that? uh,
1: As far as personal relationships are concerned, um, I keep my, I keep my distance. I don't, you know, keep everybody at arm's length. I'm not one of those guys. Um, I will, you know, I, if I go into the Blackhawks dressing room, it's for a purpose. I go in there to speak to somebody about something. Um, I may go in to ask a question of one or two of the guys, or maybe meet a new player. But typically, I don't spend a lot of time down there because that's their domain, and I respect it. And you know, I, if, if I were playing, I wouldn't want extra people in the dressing room when I'm trying to think about doing my job and things like that, because it, it provides nothing but a distraction. And, you know, I can understand people in the media. They've got a job to do. They've got questions to ask. They've got stories to write. So, yeah, there's a reason for them to be in there. But if I don't have a reason to be in there, I stay out. I see the guys enough. I see them on the charters. I see them on the buses. Uh, we're friendly to each other. We're respectful to each other. I think I've got great relationships with, you know, pretty much all of the guys. Um and when I do have an opportunity to get to know them a little bit, it's usually in a forum like the convention. Mm-hmm. It's the off season, you know. We're at the Hilton, and I, you know, and, and I do see the guys during the year, and you know, we'll give each other fist bumps, or you know, uh, somebody scores a beautiful goal, like Patrick Kane, as an example. Kaneer scores a beautiful goal. Um, you know, maybe it's a day or two later, and, and I'll walk up to him and I'll say, I'll ask him, you know. Uh, beautiful backhanded snipe did he did he give you the top corner you know like that or something like that and we'll talk and then uh, you know i'll reach out and i'll shake his hand nice shot caner like that and that'll be the end of it you know it's not like nice shot caner hey now let's go get some chipotle you know it's it's like he's got his life i've got mine and i kind of don't cross that line i i can't speak for other broadcasters i think some of them are probably a little more chummy but my style is give the guys their space because they need it. They need their space. And if they have their space, I think they're a lot more effective at their job, and I'm more effective at mine.
0: You've mentioned food twice. Um, so yeah. I let me talk a little <laughs> bit of food with you here. Because I'm one of those guys too, John. I, after a meal, I'm, I'm usually looking for something sweet. Uh, in the cupboard, I have a little little uh, bowl where I keep a lot of my favorite sweet things. So when you're looking for something, well, what is it that you're looking for inside the cupboards at your place?
1: Well, believe it or not, I really don't have much of a sweet tooth. Um, When I was a kid, I did, but I kind of outgrew it. Um, I'm more in line with the way that my dad is, my, my dad was. My dad was uh, he was a man that, you know, for dessert, he didn't need, uh, you know, a chocolate cake or, or brownies or anything like that. He'd, he'd say, hey, do we have any apples or grapes or something like that? And I, you know, when I was a kid, I'd look at him, I'd say, Dad, we got chocolate cake. Are you kidding? Why do you need? He says, I don't need that stuff. I, I, You know, the fruit fruit's good for me, like that. Well, in time, I began to be that way, where yeah, you know what? An apple sounds really good right now, or maybe a plum, or maybe some of those red seedless grapes, you know, or something like that, you know? And and at the same time, I'm thinking, okay, I got to think about my age. I got to think about my health, what I eat. Is it Would it really be a good idea for me to grab a great big chocolate brownie right there and throw a big scoop of ice cream on top of it and wolf that down? I and mean, what would happen to my cholesterol levels then? I mean, would I be able to deal with it? I think I'll go for the fruit.
0: <laughs> you were out here making me look bad, John. Now, now i got to get apples and oranges and stuff for dessert. I, I think that's a great lesson your father taught you.
1: Oh, it did. Uh, among the many that he taught me, Lawrence. And I'll tell you, it'll help you to live longer. My dad lived a good long life, uh, 89 years old, 23 grandkids. He had four great-grandchildren when he passed. And, I mean, uh, had, had uh, the situation been a little bit different, I think he could have lived another five or six years. But, the good Lord took him at age 89, and, you know, he's resting in peace, hopefully somewhere up above.
0: What's the most valuable lesson you learned from him?
1: I learned a lot of lessons from my dad. Um, I think faith in God. Uh, I think that's the number one thing. I have a pretty strong faith. Um I find myself alone a lot um, on the road because, uh, you know, I I go my way. And and at large, there's some other things about me that, you know, maybe separate me from a lot of broadcasters. I don't drink alcohol. Mm. Uh, I have had one drink in 30 years, and that was out of the Stanley Cup in the dressing room in Philadelphia in 2010. And uh, that's the only drink I've had in 30 years. Um, I choose. I choose in some ways, and, and you know, it, it, it's just how I it's just how I comport myself. It it, it works for me. Um, I I I don't drink. I I like to uh, I like good books. I like solitude. I like going online and uh, checking things out, doing research, going onto websites that 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 have uh, information about hockey. I'm on YouTube quite a bit because uh, it's very entertaining to me. Um, when I'm not doing any of that, uh, I'll go on the road with the team and I'll get into my, my walking duds. I'll go grab a cup of coffee and I'll go for a three or four mile walk and, you know, think about what I've got to do and think about my life and think about my family and, you know, how, how I can uh, make things better for my family and for my kids. And uh, and I do tend to pray a lot. So uh, it helps me to reconnect with the man above and, and uh, it helps me to live my life a lot better and a lot more cleanly.
0: Do you do you try to make services on the road when you have time?
1: I do. Yeah, I, 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 that's kind of a priority too in some ways. Um, you know, depending on where we go, there, there isn't always available uh, services to me. Um, but that's where you know a little bit of, of internet exploration comes in. Um, I you know in, in just about every stop. Um, and I'm Roman Catholic, just about every stop I know where there, there's a Catholic church within a walk of the hotel, and if I can get there during the day for a visit, I will, and if I can't, you know, well, maybe next time, but, um, you know, it's a, it, I've, made it, I've made it part of my life, and the truth is, is that when I did, my life began to change for the better, and, and I'm, not, I, I'm not trying to preach to people from the pulpit here, I'm just saying it worked for me, and so, you know, if, if you've tried everything else, you know, maybe it's time to try that.
0: I would imagine like now I'm, I'm running through like all the NHL cities and I feel like Montreal has got to be great for you with all the, the great churches and cathedrals that are available in Montreal.
1: It is. It, they've got a basilica in the downtown that's um, about four blocks from the Bell Center. Um, it's a beautiful cathedral. Um, it, I think it was built back in the 1800s. It must cost a fortune to maintain that thing. But I mean, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. Um, it's a walk from our hotel. And if you go to Montreal in January and you decide you're going to walk from the hotel down to the Basilica, that might be a, a 10 below zero walk. You know? But, you know, by the time you get there, hey, spend some time there and warm up, you know, and then when you're ready to go. You know, maybe, maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea to call a cab, you know.
0: Yes, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Well, what's what's it been like building a relationship with Troy and how delicate is the balance between the play by play man and the color man?
1: Okay, well, to start with, Troy Murray is somebody that I respected long before I ever met him. Um, Being a Blackhawk fan, especially at the old stadium in the 1980s, I had the opportunity to see Troy Murray play for the Blackhawks a number of times. And I loved the way he played. Uh, He wasn't the biggest guy in the world, but Troy played with heart and soul. He came out to play every single game, and he, he wasn't the biggest guy, as I said, but, boy, when when the puck would go deep into the opposition end and he was the first guy in on a four-check, you knew he was going to finish his check on somebody and maybe extricate the puck and maybe set up a goal or score one himself. He was good on face-offs. He, he was a, a real battler. He would stick up for his teammates. And, you know, he won a Frank Selke trophy as the top defensive forward in the National Hockey League one year. Uh, so he had quite a bit of hockey talent. He knows the game through and through. I mean, if you talk to him, you, you really are able to glean that. He, he not only knows the game through and through, Troy loves the game of hockey. And so do I. And so it's a shared passion. And he, when we first started working together back in 2006, I had confidence in the relationship before we even put the headsets on. Troy didn't know very much about me. I'd come from the New York Islanders, and I had had several years of broadcasting National Hockey League hockey in New York. So the experience was there, and you know, I took over the the, the position here in Chicago. As I said, in 2006, Troy was my partner, and my thought was, I know I can do this, and I'm going to do everything I can to make this guy – Troy Murray working with me here or me working with him, I'm going to do everything I can to make this relationship work so that, you know, maybe we work together the rest of our careers. And it didn't take an awful lot of work. Uh, He was he was just very good at what he did. There was a sense of uh, of camaraderie and at the same time, cohesion. Uh, with both of us loving the game the way that we do, it wasn't hard to find enthusiasm for the broadcast. And that team in 2006-07, they were a last-place team. Mm-hmm. They finished near the bottom in the National Hockey League, and because of the lottery, they got the first pick in the draft, which turned out to be Patrick Kane. And things got better as the years went from there. And working with Troy, when the team played well, became more and more and more enjoyable. And, um, you know, we would talk, uh, we'd talk at the hotel or maybe get breakfast together and talk. And, and a lot of times we wouldn't talk about hockey. We would just talk about, you know, you know, our families or what was going on on the road you know, maybe mix in something about the team, um, you know, and just kind of get to know each other. And Troy's a real solid guy, good family man. He's an excellent broadcaster. I would stand him up as a color guy against anybody in the business. He's fun to work with. He's responsible he loves the game. He protects the game. He defends the game. Um, he, I, I, enjoy going to work with him every time. Every time we go to work, and I miss it when he's not there. So we've been together going into our thirteenth year now, and uh, I'm, I'm hoping for at least thirteen more because I really like, I really like working with
0: him. John, time is time, right? It, it, we, we know how long things go, but I feel like this stretch after, you know, the, the group that came up, Kane, Taze, Bufflin, you know, all these guys, Keith, Seabrook, I feel like it's been fast-forwarded. It's felt like no amount of time. Like, you talking about 2006, I mean, we're talking like 12, 13 years ago before we got a chance to see these guys, and now they've won three cups, and they're, they're, they're getting older as far as hockey age goes, even though they're all really young men. Has it gone by as quickly as I'm imagining the time has gone by for you. I
1: you know, I, I answer that this way, uh, yes and no. Yes in the sense that I have seen <clears throat> twelve years just absolutely fly by and I've seen these guys come to Chicago as kids and grow into men. Um and some of them have gone from kids to growing into men and becoming husbands and fathers. Um you know that that has happened right before my eyes Um, uh, you know there was an old man I, I i knew several years ago that would tell me you know when it came to things with my career he'd say get busy with your career and make sure you make every day count because the time is going to pass no matter what you do i thought boy that makes a lot of sense and i apply that to this blackhawks situation you know that the years are going to go by. You may as well win hockey games while you're there. (laughs) And we've had the good fortune of having a guy like Joel Quenville as the head coach. I think that was just a perfect move by the organization back when Joel was available with no disrespect intended, by the way, to Dennis Savard, who took over the team, by the way, in the 2006-07 season. And he had them headed in the right direction. He really did. That 07-08 season was a, key season for this group of guys because they went from kids that were new to the nhl and feeling their way to a team that they had this this feeling that they just wanted to take on anybody and uh, they beat the detroit red wings who were then the power of the league they beat the detroit red wings five out of eight games they had a record of five two and one against the wings i know chris osgood from an association from uh, years past he was a red wings goaltender and I did a game for NHL radio in the playoffs in Nashville, the Predators against the Red Wings. And Ozzie told me, he said, our guys didn't want to play your guys because you, you had us so well in the season. Well, then the next year they end up going to the conference final against the Red Wings in 09 and losing in five games. And then 2010, they win the first cup in 49 years. And that part of it went by really fast. And then you, you, you go back and you go from 2010 to where we are now, entering the 2018-19 season, and all the players that have come through Chicago and worn the Blackhawks sweater and been part of championship teams. And I remember, Lawrence, I remember each and every one of them. And I had pretty much a friendship with every one of them. They were all great character guys. It was a lot of fun during that time. And I'm just hoping that the current core group that we have and restart this and reignite this with the new young guys that we have and see a heck of a lot more winning in the years to come.
0: I'm such a fan of Jonathan Taves. I I just adore him. And it's weird at this point in my career, I'm I'm skeptical kind of leaning on leaning towards cynical in a lot of respects when it comes to athletes. But I just adore him. I think he works so hard, and he's, he's got all the talent in the world. So it, it would be easy for him to not work as hard as he does. I, you're around him. You call all of his games. What's he like? Because he, he's also been fairly private, but I feel like there's a, there's a soul in that guy that resonates beyond the spoken word.
1: Well, the Jonathan Taves that you meet in Street Clothes – he is a very personable, polite, decent, uh, easygoing young man who I think uh, I think that he, he's a little bit misunderstood. Um, you know, the, the moniker Captain Sirius was laid on him uh, back when he first took the sea on his sweater. And, yeah, he's serious. Heck, yes, he's serious. He's serious when he's in that dressing room and he steps onto that ice to leave that hockey club. You bet he is. But when he gets off of the ice and he's in his street clothes and he's hanging out like one of the boys, he likes to have fun, just like anybody. He likes to joke around and laugh. Um, he he's Johnny's a different guy away from the rink. Um, I don't know if it's something like if you walk through a medical uh, um, a metal detector and you you suddenly uh, turn into this this different person and maybe that's that's what how the transformation takes place when he walks through the doors of the United Center or into any NHL building he is dead serious and ready to play and that is really a great thing if you think about it if it takes uh, if it takes somebody getting into somebody's face to get them to play hard you got a problem if that guy is your captain but the Blackhawks captain is the one that he supports everybody in that room and sometimes he has to get into the face of somebody to they get them to play a little bit better. We've got a couple of good leaders in that dressing room. Brent Seabrook is a tremendous leader, tremendous leader. He he's a guy that keeps everybody up. He's a guy that goes around and uh, and helps to support people and, and does what he can to help the team and sacrifices. But you know we're talking about Taves here. Taves Taves to me is is a, he's he's kind of a renaissance man in a way uh, because I think that when he first took the captaincy back in the uh, 2008-09 season and he was given that at the convention i think he went from being a kid to kind of a man at that point and i think that the the leadership that was thrust upon him might have scared him a little bit but i think he thought you know what i've done this before i know i can do this and uh, you know he's not going to talk about himself he's going to talk about the success of the team when the team wins You'll notice that when the team doesn't do as well, Johnny takes a lot of that on his own shoulders, and he takes a lot of the fault. Um, He, to me, is a guy that has no fear of putting himself out there to lead. And uh, I think that we're very, very fortunate that he is the captain of the team. And um, I, I I see his leadership rubbing off on some of the other guys, and I also see his efforts as captain rubbing off on a lot of the Blackhawk players in the dressing room and I'm not surprised with the success with him as captain I, and I, I actually truthfully he's a young man at 30, 31 I, I can I can see a little more success coming before he's done
0: I agree with you wholeheartedly one of the last things I want to get into and I've been I'm so happy you've been very very generous with your time um mm-hmm. I, I want to know how you think hockey can grow
1: um, I think hockey could grow. Uh, through the efforts uh, that, that people can, uh, can take part in, uh, like what we're seeing with the Blackhawks organization. I think with what you see in the inner city with the Ice Arena and the, the, um, <clears throat> the way that the organization has reached out to people from the inner city that may not have the opportunity to experience just standing on an ice surface in some skates and seeing what that sensation is like. Um, I've always believed Lawrence that if you could take a thousand people and put them in, uh, put them in ice skates, give them some hockey equipment, let them play the game, just whatever way that they could play. Um, you know, let them, let them play for an hour. You know, you're probably going to get a lot of them. They're going to say, yeah, I can't do this ever again, but you're going to get at least, I'd say at least a hundred of that thousand. They're going to say, you know what? I got to go back and try that again. That was a lot of fun. And once they get to the point where they can do it, they're hooked. And, (laughs) you know, they talk about addictions. They talk about uh, addictive drugs and things like that. And and our society, unfortunately, has has to deal with that problem. Our world has to deal with that. But a healthy addiction is a hockey addiction, in my opinion, because it gets you away from the things that can cause problems and, uh, and issues in your life. And it gets you into an area, an ice rink, where you can have just the time of your life. You can get exercise. It's an unbelievable mental break warrant. At age 61, I still play. I still love to get out and skate, throw the puck around, compete. I mean, at, you know, at my age, I'm not the fastest guy out there, but I, I sure have an awful lot of fun playing. And I think if everybody could sample the game of hockey, at least play it once, I'd say that the numbers would pick up incrementally with every one of those efforts and and I I think that the effort that the Blackhawks organization is going to just here in the city of Chicago needs to be replicated in all NHL cities and even in the minor league cities and that Mm. is I think the greatest the greatest place for the greatest possible growth of the game hockey
0: do you still get the rush when you go out on the ice because I mean I was talking to you when we were setting up the interview and you were on your way to go skate so do you still get that (laughs) buzz when you get out there
1: I do. Once I step on the ice, it's like I'm in my own world. Uh, It's it's I know where I am. I'm on the ice rink, but I just all the all the stresses of the day just seem to just seem to go away. And I don't have a ton of stress in my life. I'm pretty blessed. Uh, But, you know, it it, it's to me, it's like it's like mental therapy. You know, you go out and you you throw throw a puck down on the ice and you get out, you throw it around with your buddies and have fun. Your focus is on the fun of playing hockey and working up a sweat and getting some exercise and, you know, just just having fun playing the game. And for that period of time that you're on the ice, everything else goes away. And I think it's very healthy for people. If I play, I can only play a couple times a week. If I could play four or five times a week, I probably would. Um, I would recommend it for anybody as, as, as not only physical, but mental therapy and emotional therapy, too.
0: John, thank you so much for this. This was, like this was, you know, you think about sitting down with people, and I'm like, man, this is a guy I wanted to talk to. This was even better than I expected. I, I truly <laughs> appreciate your time.
1: Well, I appreciate you having me on, Lawrence, and uh, it's, it's been my pleasure. And you do a great job there at the score, and I love to listen any chance I get. So thank you very much.
0: Have a great season, John.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: I love how open John was about talking about his faith. And I sent him a text message after the interview was done. And I said it was really refreshing to hear him talk about the Catholic Church. I'm a, I would consider myself a lapsed Catholic. So it was really refreshing to hear him talk about his commitment to his faith. And what it's like to be on the road. He's not lying. I've traveled with teams. And there is a lot of drinking that goes on. Coaches drink a lot. Players drink a lot. And so do members of the media. So it can be difficult to find people to bond with on the road if you're not drinking. I also love what he had to say about Jonathan Taves. Because I I love Jonathan Taves. And I want... I want him, he's played so much hockey. I just, I want him to be okay. I, I, I don't want Jonathan Taves to be one of those guys that were like, man, what happened to Jonathan Taves? And I think that for the last two seasons, we've kind of felt that way. But the guy has been playing a ton of hockey. They've been going deep into postseasons, you know, except for last year. And because of that, I, I wonder how many miles has been put on his body. So hopefully the training that he did this season will pay off and the time that they weren't in the playoffs will pay off and we will see the best version of Jonathan Taves this year because I think that guy makes everything go. It wasn't that long ago that we were talking about him as the best two-way player, the best two-way forward in the game. And I'd like for us to get back to those days for sure. Again, thanks to our sponsors, Melly Cafe, with three locations: Halsted in Jackson, Congress in Dearborn, and Grand in Wells. You can go check them out. Check out Melly Cafe Chicago on Twitter and Instagram too. Like, if you don't believe me, if you're like, "Well, this is they're one of your sponsors," just go to their Instagram page and look at all the cool stuff on it. Melly Cafe Chicago. And tell me that you're like, yeah, I'm down. And thanks to the Chicago Wolves for being a sponsor. ChicagoWolves.com. Their season starts at home on October 13th. Get tickets, ChicagoWolves.com. Now it's time for the email section of the show. And we appreciate you sending in emails. You can email us, houseoflpodcast at gmail.com. We got a bunch of people who threw questions in, and they have guest ideas for us. So let's take a look at what we have today. This from Dave. Dave wants to know, hey, Commissioner Holmes, you are now commissioner of the NFL for 24 hours. What changes do you make and why? Love the show. Congrats on the success. Keep it going. P.S. You got my vote for Val- Alderman when it's time. I've been thinking about running for Alderman on the 20th. If I were commissioner, I'm going to be a little bit of a prisoner of the moment. If I were commissioner for 24 hours, I would like to be commissioner between Saturday at 7 p.m. and Sunday. Well, Saturday at 10 p.m. and Sunday. I'd like to have a week where we allow defensive players to play football. So I would allow... For more contact, I would allow a lot of the protections that are in place now for quarterbacks, I would strip them away for a week, and and we'd see what happens. Because now we're getting defensive guys getting hurt, pulling up on quarterbacks. That's ridiculous to me. And we have seen an increase in, in roughing the passer penalties that is unheard of. I saw the stat, I was on the uh, elliptical, I was watching ESPN. So through week 3, between 2001 and 2017, there was an there were like 16 calls of roughing the passer. Like in each year there was like 16. And through 3 weeks of the 2018 season, we've seen like 34 calls. That's ridiculous. Like it's ridiculous. It's they're not letting guys play. You know that I have a hard time like having to have the suspend disbelief and coming to grips with the fact that football is a violent game and we love the violence. If we're all going to say yes, we do love the violence. I'm not saying that I want guys to go out there like it, it doesn't need to be any given Sunday. But the memes that uh, of the conspiracy theorists who think football is getting soft, that they're being proven right. So I w- I would do that. Like that, that would be something that I would do to try and and make the game better. And that that's probably I mean, the other things are a little bit more complicated. I it would take me a lot more time than I have on on this podcast to discuss all of the things I would like to do because There's some pay scale things I'd like to do, some contract issue stuff that I'd like to do. I'll I'll, I'll give you this. From a media standpoint, I'd like everyone in the NFL to loosen the bleep up. You know how hard it is? I was talking with Adam Hogue about this, and at some point he'll be a guest on House of L. On Twitter, where... I was making a joke because he put up a steal of Khalil Mack and I was like, you can't put up stills. They don't tell the whole story because that's how people will protect Mitch Trubisky when they don't like what a still shows, how he didn't see an open receiver. And Hogue was lamenting how they can't put up videos because the NFL and the Bears, like they're draconian with it. I think all it does is share the game when you're able to put up video. So there, Dave, that's something else that, that that I would do. And I appreciate you. Sending that in this from Mike. Mike says, Hey Lawrence, I'm loving the podcast from up in Minnesota. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. He says, I grew up in some, in the suburb of Chicago and have been a score guy since I was nine years old in 1992. I think you've been doing a great job. Love that you go deeper into things with your guests on the pod. I think it's a great extension of the hour long interviews you do during guest week on the score, the golf, Sarah Spain, Justin Roman and Lynn Bramer episodes, were some of my favorite, but honestly, I'm digging every one. I think it was the uh, recent Peanut episode that you mentioned something about your grandfather playing in the Negro Leagues. Once you get through your Chicago media Rolodex, I would love to hear an episode about that, maybe a similar deep dive like you did with UFC sports. Thanks, Mike. Um, There is something in the works in that regard. And I, look, the, the guy who runs – the Negro League Museum. Bob is Bob Kendrick, who is just incredible He is an incredible interview. I I'm looking forward to having him on the show. I also think there are a couple of people who I've asked to do particular episodes of House of L, which you'll be seeing before the year is up, and maybe even sooner than that. <laughs> There's a a couple of people who I would trust with that subject matter, and I'm going to give them their opportunity to do it yes, it is something that is on my list. By the way, shout out to Julie DeCaro. Julie has done a couple of these on her podcast. And I would highly recommend that you seek out the episode that she did on Josh Gibson, who I didn't know is, like, her favorite player. So, Julie's podcast it has a really good episode. And she actually has Bob on the show. So, check that out if you can. Show her some love and and check out her podcast because she does some good deep dive stuff. Let's see. What else? Do I want to answer another sports question? Let's see what, what Paul has to say. Okay. Geez, a Bears question. Shocking. Hey, Lawrence, do you think the Bear? do you think there's some kind of tipping point in the Bear season this year that they would move away from Trubisky in order to make a run at the playoffs? I, I don't think so. Unless he had some sort of injury that was going on. I don't. I don't think that they're going to move away from Mitch and I I'm offended by people who are talking about Chase Daniel. Flat out offended. I don't like it not one bit. Cuz that guy, I think Mitch now has thrown more passes than Chase Daniel has in the pros. Maybe if it's the difference between them making and not making the playoffs and you know he's bad, I if you've made up your mind that he's bad and not going to get any better, then maybe. But I, I doubt it. I think it's very unlikely. All right, this one from Pablo. Lawrence, thanks again for putting out the podcast. I'm sure you're tired of hearing this, but the score is no longer the score that I grew to love outside of catching your show and your show's podcast. This podcast allows me to connect with you and part of the score that I sorely missed today. I would tell you that there's still a lot of old-school score DNA at the score, by the way. Um, my question is, if you plan on doing more in-depth comic book podcasts more regularly, I know you interviewed Kyle Higgins, and I loved hearing from the writer's perspective in comic in the comic book world. But for me, I would love to hear you opine on current comic series. A while back, you put me on the Hawkeye, and it was phenomenal. I would love to hear a whole show or at a minimum maybe a five-minute segment. At the end of one of the bear's pods. No, I'm not going to contaminate the bear's pods. But I, I am thinking about the bear's pods are just going to be that. Like notice, like there's no music or anything. Like it's just let's just get to it. You just want the information, so I'm just trying to get the information to you. My buddy Elliot Serrano, who I I have on the score occasionally. I'd love to really sit and geek out with him, or maybe him and Marcus Leshock in an episode where we could, like, it'd be like Geek Voltron with those two dudes. Marcus Leshock, by the way, one of the smartest and, and most well-read dudes I know in media. And he's he knows so much about the movie. So maybe, maybe what I do is I just bring those two guys in a room and I just sit back and, and throw stuff at them and see what happens. Not literally throw stuff at them. Ideas concepts adam but yeah i would like to i'll tell you this i have um i've been contemplating i've been contemplating giving up my box at the comic book store so first aid comics in high park is my store i read enough comic books that they give me my own box like they pull my issues it's a super geeky thing but i can go in and they will have like all of my comics like waiting for me and i'm so far behind that i feel like i just need to completely start over and i need to take a break from it so i'm i'm debating that we shall see all right thank you for the emails again if you want to email the podcast house of el podcast at gmail.com please go patronize melly cafe take a picture tell people there that you heard about it on the podcast Go to their Instagram. I'm not kidding you. Melly Cafe Chicago. And just look. Just look at the food. I'm going to see if I can get them to come bring food over to the the post-game crew. I'm sorry. The football after-show crew. I can say post-game crew here. But the football after-show crew over at NBC Sports Chicago. And take care of them. Because they want to do it, and I want to do it as well. And the Chicago Wolves go buy tickets. Go take your kids to a game. You'll enjoy it. I hope that you enjoyed the episode. i really I really love talking with John. and I just like a lot of the guests that you hear me talk to i I would love to do a part two. and it's got my wheels turning about some other Blackhawks things that I can do. So we shall see as the season goes on if I can get some more access over there and uh, make them a part of the podcast a little bit more frequently. I appreciate you listening. And for people who ask me about the beat, my nephew made this. My nephew, Justin, It made the, the beats that you hear on my show and the beat that you hear here. The guy is he's super talented. Just lots of mad skills. If you're a rapper, he got them beats. I'll see you after the Bears-Tampa Bay game with a pod. We'll have that for you. Luckily, it's a noon game, so I should have a pod up Sunday night for your consumption and I won't have to stay up to the wee hours of the night doing it but I do it because I love it and it's fun thanks for listening hey tell someone about this podcast and subscribe if you're on iTunes or Google Play Music give us a 5 star rating see you next time